Hello, John Vomits so during interview. Time again for old Johnny to continue to display his insanity and irrelevance as he does another interview on a far right show you've never heard of and I've never heard of unless you watched it on me or somebody else covering a crazy Trump interview. And this one is vile for a few reasons. One, you can see Trump vomit in the middle of this interview. It, it, it's disgusting to see what he does. But it's just, we, we're going to get to that. But he also, among other things, seems to threaten Ron DeSantis, attacked his own people in the Republican Party, also attacked religious Christians, uh, right-wing Christians, who aren't backing him. It's just crazy stuff. But it starts really interestingly with Trump, among other things, saying that, if anything, he's too nice. And, and you know, I'm beating the deep state, I'm fighting the deep state and winning. And you, you can't... I think I am a very nice person, but if we're going to win, we have to be tough and we have to fight back for it. And you know, again, I was under siege. And I explained that to people. As soon as I explained it, they always agree. Basically, you have to fight back. And when you fight back, you know, I want to fight to win. I want to win for the country. I want to win for the people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I could see a Kellyanne saying, well, he wasn't very nice, but I don't want to be nice. These are people that are thugs. They're very, some very sick and very bad people. And if I fight back, I, it's, you, you don't sound as nice as you should, but we're all winning together. Make America great again. Regarding the race for the RNC chair, that'll come later this month. What about your choice between Ronna McDaniel and Harvey Dillon? What's your view? Well, I can honestly say I like both of them. I mean, I get along with both of them. Uh, I haven't taken a stance, you know, let them... It out. You're not going but to. You're not I, going to. I like. I like both of them. Uh, Harmeet's a lawyer for me. She's did a, done a great job for me as a lawyer. She's my lawyer. Uh, you know, among many other. I need so many lawyers because they're coming at me. <laughs> so you can see there that like he's arguing on the one hand that he's not going to step in and then you know pick a side in the RNC fight, which is a real slap in the face to the incumbent. That's basically Trump saying he doesn't really care about her if she wins or loses. But it's fascinating there because Kellyanne Conway, in her in her way, as somebody who's very very loyal to Trump still, is trying to softly give him advice, being like, "Be less of an a-hole. If you act like less of an a-hole, you'll be more likely to win." And Trump's basically like, "Yeah, okay, I guess, but I'm just such a nice guy already. This this advice doesn't apply to me. It should go to somebody else. Good advice for everybody else, but me." And it's just it's absolutely crazy. And then we see this carry through yet again, guys, because Trump continues to spread the most ridiculous, disgusting BS as it comes to defending his own document scandal and attacking Biden. Mr. President, let me ask you about these Biden documents specifically. Uh, I want to get right to it. Uh, more documents suddenly popping up over the weekend. Uh, we now understand nobody has a visitor log from Biden's house in Delaware, Oiga Vol. Uh, Mr. President, I want to ask you point blank. Is this a cover-up, and should uh, Joe Biden be prosecuted for this stuff? Well, I don't want to get into that, but obviously it's a cover-up. It's a, a very sad situation. You know, he was uh, coming to me. We have uh, a much different situation. I was president. I have the right to declassify as president. Uh, as a vice president, as you know, can't do that. And uh, many other things. I'm under the uh, Presidential Records Act, which is for presidents, and under a very tough uh, uh, constraint. He's under the Federal Records Act, 
Marjorie Merriweather Post and, and E.F. Hutton, her husband at the time, E.F. Hutton, and uh, immensely wealthy. They built it really give to the country, and they did actually, and it was then turned back because they found it was too expensive for the country, which is interesting. But it was built as an armed fortress, and we were locked, and we were ready, and we had Secret Service, and we also had our security, but we had Secret Service there at all times. So, you know, it's a much different situation. Now I see that they have their uh, classified documents on the, sitting on the floor in a big pile in a garage someplace. And uh, it's, it's a big problem, I think, for them. I don't know. Uh, it would be nice if all the investigations could stop because we're like investigation central in this country. No country in the world does anything like this. You want to make America great again. And this nonsense is just, you know, it never ends. But uh, it's a problem. There's no question about it. He's got, and, and now they're saying there are many other places that he stored documents. And it brings Obama into the picture, as you can imagine, because he uh, documents early Obama documents. It's from the Obama administration. And now I guess they're getting him involved. How come he allowed that to happen? Merrick Garland. He's in an interesting role now. For, forget the special counsel for a second on the, uh, the Mar-a-Lago stuff and the Biden stuff for a second. What about January 6th? Do you think Merrick Garland is going to indict you regarding January 6th? And what would be the fallout if he decided to do that? Well, I can't imagine because I did absolutely nothing wrong. I had a speech. It was peacefully and patriotically, which they never talked about. Right. Uh, all of the other things that have come out, we've done absolutely nothing wrong. Uh, we, uh, I protest to this day. I protest that election. That election was a disaster. It was a rigged election. But uh, I did absolutely nothing wrong having to do with January 6th. And everybody knows it. And frankly, uh, the government knows it because they use that in cases against other people. So unfairly are they treating other people that are right now in jail. And Antifa and B-11, all these others that have killed people in different places, the people, and set everything on fire, nothing happens with them. So I think it's really unfair, the treatment. Uh, I can't imagine, and I did absolutely nothing wrong, and everybody knows it. Like, it's wild. It's wild stuff, guys. Wild, wild stuff. And, and you know, this, this is the moment where you can see that he's nervous. And there is a kind of bit there where he's not fully committed to seeing Biden get criminal charges. And you know why that is, right? It's not because he's sympathetic to Biden. It's not because he believes in civil liberties. Remember, this is the guy who, who mainstreamed locking up your political opponents or wanting to lock up your political opponents. That was 2016. Remember the famous chant about Hillary and about uh, many other people. And you still hear it at Trump rallies. Whenever they mention anybody investigating Trump, any prominent Democrat, you hear lock them up chants. Lock her up, lock him up, lock them up chants at Trump rallies to this day insofar as they still, they still happen. And you know, fundamentally, guys, like Donald Trump is saying this because he doesn't want to go to prison. Because Donald Trump realizes that what Biden did is nowhere near as bad as what he did. So if Biden goes to jail, if Biden faces charges, then Trump would face every single charge Biden faced and then some more. And with higher penalties, given the intentionality and the scale and the, the maliciousness and all of that. But here's where it gets really gross, and here's where Trump spews absolute vomit, absolute bile, in, in a disgusting way, including potentially threatening Ron DeSantis. You were the ultimate fighter, uh, the ultimate counterpuncher for sure, and that makes me think of evangelicals, why they loved you uh, twice uh, in those elections. And you announced, when you announced your candidacy, 
at least as it stands now, some of these prominent evangelical leaders who backed you last time, they're not yet willing to commit, like Robert Jeffers is not, some others. It seems like many of them are waiting to see how the field takes shape before backing anyone. What is your message to them? Well, I don't really care. Look, uh, that's, a, that's a sign of disloyalty. There's great disloyalty in the world of politics, and that's a sign of disloyalty because nobody, as you know, and you would know better than anybody because you do such a great job, nobody has ever done more for right to life than Donald Trump. I put three Supreme Court justices who all voted, and they got something that they've been fighting for for 64 years or maybe. Many, many years. Right. And nobody thought they could win it. You know, they they won. Uh, Roe v. Wade, they won. They finally won. And, you know, I was a little disappointed because uh, I thought they could have fought much harder during the election, during the 22 election, because, you know, they won. And a lot of them uh, didn't fight or weren't really around to fight. And it did energize the Democrats. But a lot of the people that wanted and fought for years to get it, they sort of. Uh, they were there protesting and doing what they could have done. But with all of that being said, there's nobody that's the movement that I have. I've been uh, the movement of evangelicals and Christians and the movement very much of right to life. Yeah, like this. This border is a disgrace. And I don't know if you know, they're letting in prisoners, but they're letting in all their people from mental institutions in many countries. Yeah. Uh, letting them in from that. They're emptying out their mental institutions Let me into the United States. It's, it's a disgrace. They're destroying our country. The rallies were unbelievable, and he ended up beating Gillum. And most people thought he couldn't do that, but I, I thought he could. So uh, I got him elected, pure and simple. He would have never... If I, if I said I wasn't going to endorse you, uh, and I was, well, you know, there was no reason to go wild about endorsing him. So, you know, now I hear you might want to run against me, so we'll handle that the way I handle things. Yeah, so uh, you, you can see there, one, he goes after the religious base. And look, I don't care about right-wing Christians. I think they're often some of the worst Christians, if I'm being honest. But it's just very interesting that Trump, you know, is, is, is already attacking some of the people he's going to need. It's a bad move, I think, for, them to attack, for him to attack a key part of the base that, you know, was reluctant with him back in 2016 and was one of the barriers he had to the nomination and he won them over and he should just say to himself, I can win them over again and if I'm if I work with them and no, he's going and he's attacking one of the most influential people, groups of people in the GOP and in particular, that part there about, you know, mentally ill people being released into the country trying to weaponize mental illness against an, an immigration, it, guys, it, that, that's vomit of, of, of uh, just awful, just disgusting, guys, disgusting. We all know this. People with mental illnesses are not dangerous. They are more likely to be victims of dangerous than perpetrators of it. They're, you know, it's, it's Trump, and Trump either doesn't know this and is weaponizing it or just doesn't care because he's a dumb dumb. Either way, it's irresponsible. And that line about DeSantis, is that a threat? I don't know. I think that's maybe a threat to Ron DeSantis. Again, I hate DeSantis, I hate Trump. DeSantis might be worse than Trump. And Trump is probably right that DeSantis wouldn't be governor without
This is how Trump attacks somebody that simply hasn't even run against Trump. All he's done is not endorse Trump. One of the craziest Trump interviews, moment of, 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 of hatred everywhere, uh, and it's only going to get worse. You all want more of a good thing. Sure. And this more was no different. So when Cheek was injured, Cheek called Morgan and Morgan. With more than $15 billion recovered, she didn't have to ask for more anymore. conservative media world like I was in, you are told to say every day that Donald Trump walks on water. I was told by my bosses to only say good things about Donald Trump. I told them to go. Most of our opinions about Donald Trump do not come from CNN or from MSNBC or from Fox. Most of our opinions about Donald Trump come from Donald Trump himself. People say, oh, I should get over it, I should move on, but it's like, how can you? I mean, they lie about liberals, lie about Democrats, lie about Trump. It's kind of hard to just move on. I know quite a few uh, people my age who are in the Republican Party who they're thinking about leaving the Republican Party. They're thinking about leaving this Trumpism, this phenomenon. I threw up the red flag, I threw up the white flag, I threw up whatever I could throw up as a warning that this was bad agricultural policy and it was going to hurt us for a long time. I was reading the Bible and reading some scripture and, in the Bible, and some verses jumped out at me. And I had to repent for that. I, I, I said, God, I am sorry for voting for him. What did Jesus say? Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Where is that love God, love neighbor, love self? And that's the kingdom of God. And what we're living with right now is Christianity that is about empire, not kingdom of God. This is not a political issue. This virus does not care. It doesn't care the color of your skin. It doesn't care about the God to whom you pray. It infects, it spreads like wildfire, and it can kill you. Game over.
Tea Party movement was born when W was still president. I ran for Congress in 2010. When I went to Washington, I directed a lot of my anger at Obama and the Republicans, but mostly it's the anger at Obama that a lot of people remember. These are all constructive ideas. Come on, President Obama. Quit scaring the American people and quit talking. I'm Helene Miller Walsh. I am Joe's wife. When he was there, we couldn't afford to get an apartment. So he is one of the many, many congressmen from both sides of the aisle who stayed in their office. And when I was there in D.C., I stayed with him in the office. It was romantic in a weird kind of way. <laughs> Full disclosure, Republicans hated me more than Democrats. Swear to God. I didn't go to Washington to make friends. We're better than that.
he was able to take home over $100,000 in settlement from an accident that was over a year ago. It's possible, no matter what you thought in the past, you can get the money you are owed, and probably a lot more than you were expecting. Simply click the button below and answer the questions about your case. And if you qualify, an attorney from our team will lay out a game plan instantly and for free. The fact that you have been through this pain means you deserve to be compensated. Together, we're going to hold the parties responsible and get you the money that you are owed. You deserve more, and we're willing to get you more. So what I want you to do is click the link below and fill out the 15-second quiz. And if after completion it says that you've qualified, they'll ask you for some additional contact details. And someone from our team will reach out and will lay out the fastest game plan for you to get the money that you are owed and get massive compensation for your injury. The YouTube video you were wanting to watch will always be there, but this opportunity and the resources behind it are limited. Mm -hmm. So, click the button below, begin the short process, and we'll be in touch soon. What we've done. You want to say something on the radio and you want to get noticed and so if you can just be a little outlandish a little more outrageous I got very anti-Obama and I personalized my attack on Obama I said things about Obama that I've had to apologize for were you ever aware of telling a lie when you were on the radio No, um, not not a not a not any sort of policy lie. But when I would say Obama's a Muslim, that's probably the best example you'll get, Melissa, from me of Joe Walsh saying something that he's only saying because uh, he wants to get a nice outrage from his listeners. I come from Trump's world. The same people who voted for Trump voted for me. The same people who voted for Trump listened to me on the radio for six years. They were my family. In a way, I was part of the cult. And I left the family. I come from a big old Irish Catholic family of nine kids. You'd call my family kind of suburban Republican. I've always loved history. My love for American history led me to my uh, lifelong interest in politics and policy. Got a master's degree in public policy with a specialization of urban poverty. I taught American government and American history at a number of community colleges in the Chicagoland area. Could fast forward to 2016, a lot of people assume I was big, big Trump supporter. Uh, I, I never really was a huge enthusiastic supporter. Donald Trump blocked me on Twitter because I would criticize him. What a lot of people identify is that I'm gonna grab my musket tweet. If Donald Trump loses, I'm gonna grab my musket 
and I'm charging Washington. I thought it was a funny tweet. I mean, come on, a musket, really? I voted for Trump. He wasn't Hillary. That was an easy vote. The minute Trump won, I tried to do the whole good Trump, bad Trump thing. Every day, week, and month, it became harder for me to find good Trump. The final straw for me, away from Trump, was Helsinki 2018, the summer of 2018. Dan Coates came to me and some others. They said they think it's Russia. Uh, I have uh, President Putin. Uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be. My name is John Schindler, a former senior analyst and counterintelligence officer with the National Security Agency. The Helsinki uh, meeting between President Trump and President Putin of Russia I think was a, an eye-opener for a lot of Americans. This was not a normal sort of interaction uh, between an American leader and the leader of a, of a frankly hostile state, a, a major adversary. As the pair sat down together, the U.S. president delivered a wink and some effusive praise. I got so fucking pissed off, I started throwing things around the living room. I said, that's it, I'm done. Oh, it was terrible. I, I think... Uh, there was universal shock and disgust in our in our intelligence community that the intelligence community assessment on the 2016 election that was publicly rejected, repudiated by the President of the United States in favor of the Russian take on what happened in 2016. Nothing like this has ever happened in our history. This was a truly shocking moment. And even, uh, you know, my Republican friends in the intelligence community had a lot of very troubling questions about what's going on here. I think that the United States now has stepped forward along with Russia and we're getting together and we have a chance to do some great things. And I don't see how any, any fair-minded person could watch what we saw on camera at Helsinki and not have just almost endless questions about what the real relationship is between Moscow and Donald Trump. Started telling me, he goes, this is not going to end up well. I knew it was coming because he had been told by the network that if he didn't have anything nice to say about Trump, don't say anything at all. They stopped sending new advertising to him. They started moving some of his shows that were in smaller markets into the graveyard shift. And then I lost my radio show. I would speak my truth on Fox News, and then I lost Fox News. Well, I'm not going to lie, it made me sad. I love a platform. I love having the microphone, and I knew I was going to lose that platform because I believe this man was evil. I wasn't expecting death threats. We have these t-shirts that say Walt's Freedom. They left that t-shirt in our mailbox with a bullseye on the back in black marker. I got death threats every day. It endangered my life, but by now, I, I'm at peace. I did what I believed in. I put my country first. Let's be real. These are scary times. 
So the hell with all those conventional things. Today I'm declaring my candidacy for president of the United States because it's time, it's time to be brave. A big part of what I did when I ran for president was, you saw me, to apologize genuinely for everything I did to help put this asshole in the White House. Someone who lies virtually every time he opens his mouth. And a lot of the angry Tea Party rhetoric that people like me express help lead to Trump. We cannot afford four more years of Donald Trump. But you know what else led us to Trump? An absolutely arrogant, out-of-touch Republican Party establishment. What was the average Donald Trump supporter looking for? Their world was changing. Their world was changing too damn fast. The, the America they were used to, this is what they would tell me back in the 50s, 60s, and whatever, you know, it, it was changing. Donald Trump heard them and just freaking took advantage of them and demagogued them. My name is Jennifer Murcia, and I'm an associate professor at Texas A&M University, and I wrote a book called Demagogue for President, The Rhetorical Genius of Donald Trump. A demagogue literally translates into a leader of the people, um, and that's what it meant in ancient Greece. And the second definition is the one that we're more familiar with, and that is um, a villainous character. It's someone who uses polarizing propaganda and who polarizes for their own gain. Of course, the most infamous demagogue, the one that everyone knows, is Adolf Hitler. And Donald Trump does all of those things that Hitler recommended that the demagogue would do. They were things like using slogans, having rallies, using force, silencing opposition, making it seem like what the people who were attending rallies had was something very special. They're incredible people. You work so hard and you're smart as hell using reification, which is treating people as objects. Republicans believe in the rule of law, not the rule of the mob. That's what it is. He's very effective at using demagogic rhetoric um, to control the public fear, to polarize, to increase distrust. He's actually very strategic, and he's very consistent um, in how he uses his strategy. The border is a much more dangerous problem. It's a much bigger problem. It's a problem of national security. It's a problem of terror. You're worried about people coming in the country? I'll build a wall. He said, I'll bring back clean coal. I'll bring back manufacturing. I'll bring back Christmas, right? Well, you can say Merry Christmas again. Oh, God, it'll be 1958 again. The man who brought Christmas back to America. And it was all a bunch of bullshit and lies, but he responded to them, and the rest of the party didn't. And all of the strategies that Trump uses prevent us from holding him accountable, either because he's demonizing his opposition, denying them humanity and standing, or um, you know, ingratiating himself with his followers in such a way that they won't hold him accountable and question what he does.
and it's um, exactly what the framers of the Constitution tried to prevent. So he is a con man, uh, Donald Trump is, and you're right, he's a really good demagogue, and, and he's been able to fool people and con people uh, to the point where almost all of his followers will follow him till the bitter end. Does it bother you that he's increased the debt faster and more than Obama did? Does that bother you? No. Is that it? No, I'd have to, I'd have to, I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that. That's a fire. Yeah, not even close. Do you think Donald Trump had a rally in Des Moines a week and a half ago? I went and talked to people in line before they went into the rally. Most freaking, bizarre, depressing thing I've ever done. Uh, I asked 40 people, my God, I asked 40 people one simple question. Do you think Donald Trump has ever liked her? No. Never? Never. I mean, Trump, he's a pretty much straightforward guy. I don't know, I don't. He who believes in Donald Trump. All 40 said no. Uh, they didn't hesitate. No, he hasn't lied. No, he hasn't lied. What is that? Because we know he does all the time. He really is like, oh, you don't realize that he's talking to folks. But I think a lot of people, a lot of the Trump people, believe he doesn't. Because every goddamn day, Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram are telling them that he doesn't lie. And they believe that. Laura Ingram and Tucker and Rush, they're smart. They're manipulating their listeners. Like, they're trying to foment unrest. I've tweeted often the last five months that watching Fox News can get you killed. They lied to their audience about coronavirus. They purposely fed them shit they know is not true. Because you had the president, the idiot out there, talking about the virus is no big thing. Um, they're fomenting unrest right now. You've got Antifa out there. They're coming for you and your guns, and they're coming for your family. They're purposely trying to manipulate and scare their viewers. I find that to be off the charts dangerous. Be yourself. We know that. Fear appeals. Outrage. Outrage is great at creating an audience. And so the Fox News formula, unfortunately, is frustration, outrage, fear appeals, uh, demonizing the other. And that's a great recipe for building a loyal audience. But it's a scary world for that audience. Um, and that scary world <laughs> abuts with reality sometimes and, uh, in unfortunate ways. I did not plan on coming in today, into this studio today, to lead with what I'm about to say. But wouldn't you know it, Trump opened his damn stupid mouth. I mean, Trump has been a cold, hard slap across my face because I've watched him every day now, the last three and a half years, and listened to him every day. And at least once a week, I go to bed, I've gone to bed these last three and a half years, and I've said to myself, oh, my effing God, did I sound like that? Did I spew shit like that? Have I been that ugly with my personal politics? The election of him has forced me, and it's a good thing, to change my tone. Um, I'm still the same Tea Party conservative, but you and I can sit down. Maybe five years ago we couldn't have, because I was a jackass. You're not. Maybe I was. 
I've changed my tone. Liberating. Oh, I'm out of the closet, baby. I'm sitting here naked. It, oh my God! It's it's no, it's it's a very liberating experience. I, I uh, I'm I'm no longer the guy just fighting and being an SOB. I'm trying to to pull people in. I'm trying to have conversations. Uh, I I find it much more liberating. And so they're doing everything they can to rig the system to make sure that Donald Trump is the nominee. That's been clear in every single state. I'm going to announce tomorrow on CNN that I'm ending my campaign. Uh, the life of a soon-to-be former campaign. Oh, manager. my God. The glamour. The glamour. And a map. Um, okay, we are following this gray mobile out of town. Joe's doing radio again, and it's been outstanding radio. He's getting a really great, diverse audience. Somebody sent him an email yesterday. I thought it was so perfect. They said, when somebody says, Joe... I don't agree with you. He said, I never know if they're going to be a Democrat or a Republican. New York. 
My parents always took their right to vote very seriously because they did come from the Soviet Union and being in America, to them, voting was a tremendous privilege. I think that she started being interested in politics probably when she was 12, but then it somehow grew into a real hurricane. My political opinions kind of started to form. I affiliated myself with the Republican Party and with the conservative movement. So I started off with my political involvement by volunteering on a few local campaigns, and I'd gotten to know some people in the local Brooklyn Republican Party who saw that I was very politically ambitious. I expressed to them that I wanted to make a Teen Republican Club. and the Brooklyn Teen Republican Club are putting something like this together. They're not only speaking from their club, they're speaking for the people of this district. Lock her up! Lock her up! Lock her up! I'm Jerry O'Brien, and back in the 1970s, when I was a teenager, I had Botch's job with the Teenage Republicans in Brooklyn. And for the last 30 years or so, a political consultant working here in New York and in about a dozen other states for clients like John McCain. I met Botch when she was asked to moderate a city council debate between three candidates, one of whom was my client. I think she was 16 years old at the time, and wow! Impressive. You know, she was a rising star in the Republican Party and someone that was considered a, a real superstar. She was someone that was talked about as, you know, can we get her to work on our campaign? You know, what would she want? You know, how can we approach her? A lot of local politicos were stunned by her because she was so young. I don't even know whether they knew how young she was. Nobody ever asked me for a relief. And I was quite perplexed by that. As much as I may have had some concerns or differences, it was very important for me not to interfere. I used to attend some turning point events. It was very easy to meet people who are quite famous in the Republican Party. And it was definitely very intoxicating, seeing the president, his sons, all his uh, staff members, being able to take pictures with them, talking with them about the work you're doing to help the president was very empowering. Unfortunately, it kind of blinds you. I definitely watched a lot of Fox News stay as far away as it could from CNN or what Trump would call Clinton News Network, because I did buy into the whole, I would say now, conspiracy that, oh, CNN is trying to brainwash you, you know, ABC is trying to brainwash you, NBC is trying to brainwash you. Fox News is the ultimate network. I'm Stephen Hassan, and I'm a mental health counselor. Uh, I'm a cult expert based on my 40-plus years of activism after I got deprogrammed out of the moon cult, which I had been recruited into in the 70s. I wrote The Cult of Trump as an act of conscience about Trump having the stereotypical profile of a cult leader, which is malignant narcissism. It's a term that Eric Fromm first coined. It has all of the characteristics of narcissism, but then all of the psychopathic, antisocial characteristics as well. And Trump had all of them. As I say, crooked Hillary, crooked Hillary. She's as crooked as they come. I was watching him use cult leader playbook kinds of linguistics. Tactics. He made a deal with the devil. He's the devil. 
course, with certain fees. An angry Democrat uh, was on a mission to resist a Repetition, the name calling. Because they're fake. With sticky terms for his opponents that are very hypnotic. Donald Trump's rallies like. They were always filled with very long waits for President Trump to actually arrive. There is a psychology behind waiting for a really long time. He made many people stand for about seven hours, eight hours, older people like my dad, which was definitely not very nice of him. Because you have an investment, you know, and so your mind starts orienting to this must be worth it because I'm waiting all of these hours. They were intense. They were filled with screams. They were filled with chants of lock her up. Sometimes they were even filled with cursing. There's nothing wrong with chanting. On the influence continuum, it's a benign form of social influence. The problem is when you have an authoritarian that wants complete loyalty that wants complete obedience and dependence. And there's a contagion effect when you're with a group of people. If you're chanting it, it will make you believe it, and it will make you feel good about it. So it's a self-reinforcing cycle of the cult identity. It was definitely, you know, you felt like you were just overfilled with adrenaline when you were at these rallies. Um, it's kind of like a drug, if you ask me, a very, very unhealthy drug. Information overload was a huge technique where people would get so overloaded that they kind of get in a numb state and then they can get indoctrinated. There were a lot of people that go from rally to rally to rally to rally, and it's like a, a music event. They've got these big screens up. Junior and Ivanka, and they're all there on the screen giving a message. It was insane. We will build the wall, believe me. And who is going to pay for the wall? Who? 100%, folks. He kind of had this hold on everybody in the crowd. He made everybody completely agree with whatever he was saying, even when he said some pretty borderline things. The people of Ohio can save America from radical Democrats. They become radical. These are bad people. We can't let this happen to our country. And I could parallel with Jim Jones, with Hubbard of Scientology, Moon, Koresh, Warren Jeffs of FLDS. We will make America strong again. And I knew that this is not a healthy person to run the most important country and most powerful country in the world. We will make America great again. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless America. I was working at the time for Darren Aquino, and he somehow managed to attain 50 tickets to the inauguration and to the inaugural ball. I went with him and with the rest of our campaign team.
was honestly one of the best times of my life. I remember there was a small group of people who snuck into the very front of the inauguration with resist signs. And I remember thinking that they were just completely crazy. But looking back now, they knew what was coming. They felt it. They felt the danger that this president could cause. They felt what we could not. I remember very clearly watching that whole press conference. And you had some very bad people in that group, but you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. And just thinking, how can the president of the United States say that there are fine people on the sides of racists and white supremacists? Being that I am Jewish, and in my family, we have had over 40 people killed in affiliation with the Holocaust, it was very troubling that he could even somewhat agree with the people that apparently want me kicked out of America. White supremacists run down a young woman with a car because she's demonstrating against them? I just think that um, that was a moment that crystallized for her and for a lot of people that something is really wrong with this man. It was in some ways quite shocking to me, making America great again reminded me of Adolf Hitler's slogans and both myself and my husband told her about it. We tried to make sure that she understands a lot about uh, history and uh, how it could evolve and about human rights for sure and human dignity. Both my parents grew up in the Soviet Union where nobody was allowed to express how they think. It was 1984, but in real life. It was the North Korea of the 20th century. In a totalitarian regime, every aspect of the life is controlled. There is no freedom of speech. There is no information. People were arrested for smiling under certain circumstances. Everything had to be uniform. You had to be part of the crowd, and you had to be the same as everyone else. In the 1970s and 80s, you had a movement of dissidents who were primarily Russian Jews, who became known as Refuseniks, for their refusal to, to accept the Soviet system. And the Refuseniks got a lot of attention on the true nature of the Soviet system in a way that, you know, previous dissidents had not been able to. My husband actually had been a Refusenik. And when we got married, he was already hoping that he would be allowed to leave the country. But it turned out that my addition to his family meant that nobody could leave because there was a daughter of a famous scientist and a political dissident, and such people weren't allowed uh, to leave the country. The Soviets wanted to make life as unpleasant as possible for these people and succeeded in many cases. The lucky ones got out, not all did. Perestroika started. We finally left in the very beginning of 1988. So the miracle happened and we left. By having parents that grew up in that environment in the Soviet Union, I realized that we can't let that happen in America.
I remember getting a phone call from one of the leaders of the Brooklyn Republican Party saying that the comments that I had made to a reporter about my club being dissatisfied with Trump's Charlottesville comments, all I said was, I'm extremely disappointed. And my members, my teen Republican members, were extremely disappointed in the comments he made in Charlottesville. And he said, well, you can't say that. We're Republicans. You can't say that. And I remember being so infuriated at the moment and thinking to myself, why is somebody telling me and my members how to think? How can we allow that to go on? We have a president who has a terrible relationship with leaders of free nations, of European nations, and then we have him having a great relationship with dictators. And I think that's very, very telling. Most people in the United States have never experienced living in a dictatorship. From the experiences of my parents, which they've always shared with me to make sure that I know what is dangerous and that if America ever becomes like that, it would be dangerous. I will say that they don't want it. Maybe right now there are some Trump supporters that are even saying we should only have the Republican Party, or rather the Trump Party, and that is such a dangerous thing to say because they don't want to live in a place like the Soviet Union. They don't want to live in a place like Nazi Germany. Because what ends up happening is mass murder, mass propaganda, mass brainwashing, and they don't want that for our country, even if they don't know it. I was at this kind of crossing point where I was like, well, what do I do now? I was afraid of coming out and saying, hey, I don't support this guy anymore. I can't support him. I just can't do it. When I began seeing people openly going out and saying, hey, we cannot support this man any longer. What he's doing is dangerous for this country. I began to be inspired by it. I began to think, maybe I can do it too. It will not be the end of the world. At the end of the day, I have to stay true to who I am. I remember I was not the same person as I was at CPAC 2018, standing and applauding for him, waiting in line for hours just to be in the front when he was speaking. This time I was in the back. I left after a few hours because I was so tired and he was just going on and on and on, ranting, obviously not reading anything off of the teleprompter. I just didn't care anymore. I realized then that, wow, this is really it. This is over. I, my relationship with Trump is truly, truly over. Bashir took being with the Republican Party and leaving it very seriously, but this is how she is. She takes everything very seriously. She takes a lot of time to ponder, to think. Uh, then she comes out with her conclusion. The biggest relief for me wasn't even her political choice that changed, but that she was allowing herself to see the truth. I think that this is the most important thing. I graduated from high school in June of 2019, and I decided to take a gap year to figure out more what I want to do later on in life, to figure out who I am, and that is definitely helped me continue to come out of this Trumpism that I was in for so long.
I'm Dr. Dina Grayson. I'm a physician, scientist, and an expert in viral pandemic threats. Israel was very quick to recognize that there was a problem, and they were science-based about it. Israel's citizens, they really followed the directions that were given to them by the government. Trump supporters respect Trump more. So regardless of them hearing medical opinions, if they hear Trump say that, hey, coronavirus is not a big deal, then it's not a big deal to them, regardless of what all the medical doctors are saying. I can't even imagine how Basha felt being in Israel, knowing that her family and loved ones are in New York City, but knowing that your loved ones are in a place, that the government's not doing anything, they're ignoring the threat. You see what the Israeli government's doing. You know, she must have felt just helpless. I mean, it must have been horrifying. Since we last talked, I came back from Israel, where I spent six months on my gap year. Uh, afterwards, I spent two weeks in quarantine because of coronavirus. After coming back to the U.S. and flying into the airport, I immediately felt that everything was very much out of place, especially compared to when I was last here. We're Americans! If Hillary Clinton would have won, the world would have been over. It was game, set, back for America. Unfortunately, many of my former colleagues in the Republican Party have completely become Trump bots. They now harass me on Facebook whenever I post anything. They say really, really nasty things to me, which honestly don't bother me. Marty is very resilient. It doesn't mean that she doesn't get hurt, but she can rise above that. That's true. In order to come to the understanding I have now about the president and about the current state of our country, I had to go through what I had to go through with supporting Trump and working for the GOP. And without that experience, I would not have been able to ever fully see the extent of what Trump is doing and how harmful it is. I feel very grateful to be out. I feel grateful to see the light, so to speak. And I feel like the second you see what Trump is doing and the harm that it's doing to this country and to our nation as a whole, you can't unsee it. And I'm just praying that Trump supporters finally see it so that they can unsee it and that they vote the right way. Came of political age, I came of age in the Reagan years. When we talked about a shining city on the hill, he was talking about bringing people up, making people feel that there was something better out there that we could achieve. You know, there's a perception out there that most farmers are Republicans. That's true. Uh, that's true. Because they're conservative in nature just by their wiring. It's the independence. I got involved in my local party on my Republican Central Committee. But I'm a Reagan Republican. Uh, the ideals of, of diplomacy, the ideals of statesmanship, American exceptionalism, if you will.